This is Father Reed Henschling, and we have another opportunity to share with you the Word of God. We'll be focused this week on the second Sunday after Pentecost, and we begin that Sunday on June the 14th, 2020, through Saturday, June the 20th, June 14th through June 20th. And we are calling this, for those of you that are interested in these kinds of things, Proper Six. So we have propers in the summertime and in the early fall, and we have the second Sunday after Pentecost, third, fourth, fifth, until we get to the last Sunday after Pentecost, which will be in November. This week we'll be looking at the book of Numbers, Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're in Numbers right now. Remember, we've been in uh, Leviticus, and before that, we were in Exodus. We'll be starting in Romans, the great book of Romans, on Monday. And then we've been in Matthew for several weeks now, and we will continue in Matthew. So, let's begin on Sunday with a very important verse that you may want to write down and make sure you have highlighted in your Bible. This is Numbers 6, 22 to 27. This is called the priestly blessing. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. And I know all of you want to be blessed. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So you've probably heard those words before or seen it at a card. The whole idea of blessing or priestly blessing is to um, have God touch you in a way that is literal and not just spiritual, but spiritual also, and to give prosperity to your life and good things to happen in your life. All right, from there we go to Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9. Now, Numbers is not the most (laughs) fun book of the Bible. There are literally lots of numbers there. Uh, in the in the book of Numbers, and for some people, Numbers is not very interesting and seemingly not very important. But it is important historically. And in Numbers chapter nine, fifteen to twenty three, and then ten twenty nine to thirty six, we have the idea of the people of Israel are going to uh, go from the Red Sea. Remember in Exodus, and they are going to go to eastern part of what is now known as Israel, and that God is going to lead them into the promised land. We're going to see that when we get to Joshua. So whenever the cloud lifted from the tent, uh, this is 917, the Israelites set out. Whenever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. So what's happening is that God is leading them. God is guiding them. God is showing them how to get there. They can't get there by themselves. So as you're reading this week from the book of Numbers, just be aware of what God is doing. And notice that God is the one that is doing it. God is the one that's doing it. Chapter 10, verse 11. On the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle of the testimony. Just another example of God moving people, of, of they stayed in a certain place as God directed and guided them. Now, obvious, the obvious spiritual uh, learning for us is uh, uh, clear or should be clear. Where God says to stop, you stop. Where he says to go, you go. Let him lead and guide you. That's a hard thing to do. Let him deliver you. Let him show you the way that you are to go. All right? Numbers chapter 11, 1 to 23. Fire from the Lord, quail from the Lord. Okay? God's provision. God providing for his people. The key thing is that the Lord is going to provide. The Lord, but at the same time, there's also hardships. 
Now the people complained about the hardships in the hearing of the Lord. When he had heard his anger was aroused, aroused, then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. So they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord, the fire died down. So there's this extraordinary interplay between what God is doing, what the people are receiving, how the people are responding to that, what the people are doing, and when they obey the Lord, they are blessed, as I said in the priestly blessing of Numbers chapter 6, and when they don't obey, then they're cursed, and then God has a way of dealing with his people. So as you're reading through Numbers this week, keep this in mind. This in mind. On Wednesday, we have Numbers 11, 24 to 33. Is the arm of the Lord too short? Is the arm of the Lord too short? You will now see whether or not I will say it will come true to you. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to them. And he took the spirit that was on him, Moses, and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on him, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. So what he's doing here is, again, God has the ability because he's sovereign, because he's Lord. He's the creator, as we said. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning was God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he's able to take the Holy Spirit and divide it among them and to bless the people and to bless the people and to speak to the people. So what we're seeing in the book of Numbers is these raw, tangible ways that God deals with his people, the raw, tangible ways that he deals with us and the ways he shows himself and the ways he disciplines us and the ways he blesses us and the ways he provides for us. In Romans, uh, Romans, Numbers chapter 12, 1 through 16, we talk about, we have this wonderful story about Miriam and Aaron opposing Moses. He says in verse 6, when a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal himself, myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. All right? So Moses is a speaker for the people. Moses is someone that the Lord works through. Moses is someone that the people can look up to. Moses is someone that the people can expect to hear the word of the Lord from. And so he's dealing with the, in that 12th chapter with folks that disagreed with him, that um, the anger, it says the anger of the Lord burned against him and he left them, verse 9. Then you have the cloud lifted and there's Miriam leprous like snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy. So we're back to the sin again, the sin that we have so foolishly committed. Lord, healer, verse 13. Lord, healer. Then Miriam had sinned against the Lord and she paid the consequences for that. All right. So the sin, particularly when you're looking at the New Old Testament, not the New, but in the Old Testament, we see the consequences of sin meted out by God pretty directly and very strongly. Sometimes it's hard to appreciate and understand. So as you're reading again the book of Numbers in these chapters during the week, be aware of this. In chapter 13, verse 1, which we find on Friday, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. Remember, I told you they're going to camp on the east side. They're going to go into Canaan. Eventually, it'll be Joshua. Go and see what we can take. So they send out a group to do that, and they came back, and two of them said that we can take it, and two of them said, two of them said we could take it, and the other ten said no. Caleb silenced the people in verse 30 and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do this. But the men who had gone up said, we can't attack those people, verse 31, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored, and all the people we saw were of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And what happened was, is that 12 people were sent out on an expedition. And 10 said, we can't do this. And two said, yes, we have the Lord on our side. We can do this. 
And what happened was that the people rebelled against them and the anger of the Lord, as we'll see on Saturday, verse through verse 25, the anger of the Lord was very strong. And so that group of people, as we'll see in chapter 14, was not able to go into the new land, but had to pay the penalty and the consequences for not believing in the Lord. So read that very closely. Do you believe the Lord is with you in difficulties and trials and tribulations or not? Is the Lord on your side or not? And as you read Numbers, read it for historical learning, but also read it for what God is saying to you personally and how he's saying it and how he's dealing with you. And you always want to be on the right side of following the Lord, listening to the Lord, doing what he says, even when you don't want to, because that makes a very, very big difference. Now, one of the great books of the Bible in many scholars' eyes and many people's eyes, Christians' eyes, is the book of Romans. Now, Romans comes after Acts, and we'll be in Romans for some time now. It's just an extraordinary book. Several years ago, I went verse by verse on the Wednesday morning Bible study. One of the great lessons of my life was to work through Romans. And so on Monday, we start with Romans 1 to to 15, and on Saturday, we end with 3, 9 to 20. You could study Romans your whole life. So as you're reading this extraordinarily good book, please read it slowly. It's wonderful. And God will speak to you, I pray, in very, very amazing ways. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, verse 1, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul is called by God to be an apostle, to be set apart for the gospel, and that he is going to share that gospel. And it is our job in 2020 to listen to the gospel and pray about what we're going to do with this information. It's important to be responsive to this message. And this is a great message, 16 chapters, the book of Romans. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you could, you know, you could do all kind of work in that third and fourth verse. Wow, just very rich, very deep, very complex, and at the same time quite simple. The son of God, he's resurrected from the dead, Jesus is the Lord. Through him and for his sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles. Remember, there's just Jews and there's just Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. We want people to believe in Christ and we want them to act in obedience. We want them to love him. We want them to come out of darkness into light. And so what Paul is going to do in this extraordinary uh, book is he's going to talk about the gospel. He's going to talk about what the gospel means. He's going to talk about faith. He's going to talk about justification. He's going to talk about a relationship with Christ. He's going to talk about who Christ is. And so in chapter 1, 1 through 15, we have these wonderful words. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, verse 9, is my witness how constantly I remember you. So it's also a very strong pastoral letter from Paul about, um, about who he is and how passionate he is about the message. And so... On Tuesday, we go 16 to 25. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Then he says at the end of 17, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel is the power of God. He's not ashamed of the gospel. But sadly, in verses 18 through 20, 32, we have these extraordinary text, very often quoted text. 
about what happens when we rebel against God and we do not follow the Lord. And the wrath of the Lord is revealed, much like we see in Numbers, okay? So there's a tie in there. Go back and look at the Numbers chapters for the week and you'll see how God dealt with them in a very strong way. And in Romans, you have the same situation. And so God judges as we move into Wednesday in chapter 2. God will give each person according to what he has done, verse 6. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he'll give eternal life. For those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Now, we see that recapitulated, if I can use that word, often in the Old Testament. We see that evidenced in the Old Testament. We have the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now Paul's letters, 13 of them, as he reflects upon the Old Testament, as he reflects on the the life of Jesus. And he has these extraordinary words for us that he's given to us in Romans. So there's going to be a judgment. And he says in verse 11, God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. In chapter 2, verses 12 to 24, we find those verses on Thursday, verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. So they didn't have the law, is what he's saying, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, did not have the law. But on their heart they had the law, and they followed that law. Their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secret through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So when you don't know what the law is, the Lord puts it in your heart, and conscience becomes a very important thing. So your conscience is, bears witness to truth, or it sadly bears witness to lies or not truths. And so remember that you have heard the, the term, let your conscience be your guide. Now, if your conscience is submitted to the Holy Spirit, is submitted to the Word of God, is submitted to the Lord, then following your conscience is a far easier thing to do. But you don't want a situation where you let your conscience be your guide, your intuition, as it were, and not know the scriptures and not know the power of God and not know the word of God. So he deals with those issues as he begins his book on Romans. Then on um, Friday, we have 225 to 38, 225 to 38. And then famously, one of my favorite sections is Romans 3, 9 to 20. On Saturday, there's no one righteous. No, not one. Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. No one is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks God. Verse 10 11. All have turned away. They've become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. So I talk, I speak quite a bit about the fact that there is no one good person out there. We are not in and of ourselves good. There's the scripture text for that. No one's righteous. No one seeks to understand. No one's seeking God. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. There is no fear of God, verse 18, before their eyes. Verse 20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now, that's a very important verse before we go to the uh, Gospels. You and I cannot be declared righteous by observing the law. What does that mean? Let's say I didn't want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I went to heaven, or I'm sorry, I went to the judgment seat of Christ, and says, I don't need Christ, and he'll say to you, okay, We'll go by what you've done in your life. Let's look at all, let's look at the law. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. Here's what the law says. Oh, run the tape. Look at all the ways you've broken that law. You're not righteous, sir or ma'am. 
you have broken the law in all of these different ways throughout your lifetime. And there's no blood to cover your sin. There's no blood, the blood of Jesus to cover you, to get you into heaven. You and I cannot observe the law and be declared righteous. Why? Because we can't keep the law. The law makes us, makes us conscious of our sin, but it, it doesn't have the power to save you because you can't keep it. Now, later on, the Holy Spirit as a Christian man or woman, certainly still you want to obey the law, you want to follow the law, but the Holy Spirit aids you to be able to do that. You and I do not have the power ourselves to do that. In Matthew 17, 14 to 21, we go back to the ministry of Jesus in Matthew. And what we find in these middle sections is just a wonderful, wonderful expose, wonderful readings about different things. So on Monday, we're looking at the idea of the healing of the epileptic boy. Why couldn't we drive it out? Because you don't have enough faith, verse 20, okay? You don't have enough faith. And so in chapter 17, verse 22, on Tuesday, he predicts when he's going to die and the fact that he's going to die. And then we have that very interesting temple tax teaching about the fish and collecting it for Peter and and this miracle where uh, they catch this first fish and they find a coin. Very interesting. On Wednesday, we look at the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to be great? He says in verse 3, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. So that's the key and that's secret to the kingdom, people. Become humble. Move in humility. And then, of course, we have the parable of the lost sheep on Thursday and the person that sins against you. How often should I forgive? Many, 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 many times. Many, many, many times. If your brother sins against him, go and show his fault. And so you want to be reconciled to your brother. If he refuses to listen to you, tell it to the church. Okay? So we want to work toward forgiveness. And what we'll see in the, um, uh, the parable on the unmerciful servant on, on 18, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sinned against me? S- not seven, 70 ti- seven times? No, 70 times seven. And then he gives one of my favorite parables of the Bible where a person was forgiven an inestimable cost, uh, an amount of money that he could never pay back, and he forgives him. But then that guy goes out, and someone owes him a very small margin of money, a small amount of money, and puts him in jail. And the king finds out about it. He says, you wicked servant, I've canceled all that debt, verse 32, all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I've had on you? This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart and anger his master, turn him over to the jailers until he pay back all the yod. Brothers and sisters, it is so important for us to practice forgiveness. It's so important because we've been forgiven of so much to ask the Lord to forgive us. And so the parable of the unmerciful servant, if you don't know this text in the Bible, that's really an important one you want to spend some time with. And lastly, on Saturday, we have the issue of divorce, chapter 19. The issue of divorce, the coming together of a man and a woman in holy matrimony, let therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. We're back to Genesis chapter 2, all the way back to Genesis. Jesus goes back to Genesis when he talks about male and female, and then he talks about divorce and that incredible teaching about divorce, which is still a um, scripture that's debated today. So very quickly, we looked at Numbers, we looked at Romans, and we looked at Matthew And you could talk a lifetime about them. You could talk about them for years and years and years and years and read them for a lifetime, which I hope you will. They are wonderful texts. They are different. 
and they show different aspect, aspects of the kingdom, and they contribute different ways to your maturation and my maturation in the faith. They're all important and they're significant, and you want to get the big picture. But if you want to do extra reading or more study, there's always opportunities to do that also. I hope and pray that you have an excellent week of study of these three great books of the Bible and that God would richly bless you. I look forward to speaking to you next week as we look into the third Sunday after Pentecost. God bless you, and may the Lord bless you reading abundantly. Bye-bye.